Pour yourself a sweet tea, pull up a lawn chair, and turn the page with us. You're listening to Right On Mississippi, a podcast taking you inside the minds of America's most treasured wordsmiths. I'm Sarah Ulmer, and Right On Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party. Thanks for tuning in with us today. We have a very special guest all the way from the Big Apple. Miss Roseanne is here with us today. SJ Roseanne is here to talk about a book that is coming out next month, her book, Paper Sun. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about this. Absolutely. All right. How was your trip down? Are you you doing okay making it through Mississippi heat? Oh, yeah. I I came in a couple days ago, and I've been to um, Clarksdale and Greenwood and Cleveland and, uh, yeah, yeah, getting around the you're, Delta. You're hitting up all of our good small yeah, towns in yeah, the Delta, aren't you? Yeah, yeah oh, I'm trying to, yeah. <laughs> I have a, uh, a guide, um, oh, my, my friend Eric Smith, Eric Stone, who lives down here. And um, he, he's in Clarksdale, and he's... Uh, a big, a big Delta fan. So well, it you know, there's so many good things that come out of the Delta. I don't know how you couldn't be a yeah. big Delta fan. Yeah. Yeah. But that's also great. I love like when I vacation. I love meeting somebody local that yeah. knows yeah. how to take me to the good local yeah. spots. Yeah. Yeah. And in Mississippi, you know, you it's the nook and cranny places that have the best yeah. stories to yeah. tell here. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here, and um, let's just get right down to it. So mm-hmm. talk to me about this new book, Paper Sun, um, which is part of a series that has been taking a little bit of a break. So I know readers that have been in this series are very excited to see this book coming out. And I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, uh, this is the 12th book in the Lydia Chin Bill Smith series. And the way the series works, Lydia Chin and Bill Smith are private eyes. And Lydia will narrate one book, and Bill will be the sidekick, and then the next book he will narrate, and she'll be the sidekick. And this has been going back and forth for years. And I wrote a couple of other things, and that was the, there have been two breaks, but um, I was down here visiting Eric uh, a couple of years ago, and he introduced me to the story of the Chinese grocers of the Mississippi Delta. I had never heard of these people. I had never heard of this community. And because Lydia Chin is Chinese-American, she lives in Chinatown, New York with her mother, um, and a lot of her stories are focused on Chinese themes. And when I heard about the grocers, I thought, boy, if I was ever handed a story on a silver platter to make into a book for Lydia, this is it. And so I went back to New York and I did a whole bunch of library kind of research. And I came back down here and I talked to some people, some of the grocers who are still here. I went back to New York and met a bunch of people up there. I came back here. And then I finally, um, after the third trip, uh, I I wrote the book and uh, it's called Paper Sun and it comes out July 2nd. That is very exciting. Um, Like we said, you know, a lot of people that have been following her story and and the story of her and Bill Smith are able to kind of get some more insight. And being a Mississippi native, love that you are looking at a culture that probably doesn't get a lot of attention in the Deep South. I feel like that's something that that doesn't get talked about. And here in Jackson as well, we have a Mr. Chins. We Um, just came from there. (laughs) We had dumplings and greens. And how good was it? Oh, it was excellent. It is. Excellent. And the yeah. grocery store that they mm-hmm. have over there is awesome. I've lived overseas. I lived in the Philippines for a little while. And just walking in kind of mm-hmm. reminds you yeah. of yeah. just that um, that Asian culture and yes. that feel of everything. Yeah. So for, for readers that might not be familiar with this series, can you talk a little bit about kind of where this idea came from and this this 
storyline to focus on this particular culture, um, not just in Mississippi, but in New York as well? Well, when I created Bill Smith, who was the first character I created, he was that iconic voiceover white male private eye. Uh, um, there's, it, it, It's an icon. It's Robert Mitchum. Um, there's lots of them. But when I started writing, a lot of the private eyes had sidekicks who were exactly like them, only psychotic. So <laughs> if the private eye wanted something done that he didn't want to dirty his hands with, he could just call the sidekick and say, gee, I wish someone weren't shooting at me from up in the hills. And the sidekick would say, just stay where you are and come over an hour later and, you know, dust the dirt off his hands and say, taken care of. Um, I didn't want Bill Smith to be able to do that. I wanted mm -hmm. him to have to deal with morally ambiguous situations. And if there were only two bad choices to choose between, I wanted him to have to make one choice and then live with it. Mm -hmm. So I wanted him to have a, a sidekick, but somebody who was as different from him as possible so that everything could be called into question. It had to be somebody small because he was big. It had to be a woman because he oh, was clearly. a man. And, you know, <laughs> and, um, and, and then I decided, well, it really ought to be somebody from another culture. And that way, everything, when the new year starts and what you have for breakfast and whether or not you wrap presents and just everything mm -hmm. is um, a matter of debate and there is no firm moral ground. Right. So that was my thought. So I created Lydia Chin, but to be a sidekick for Bill. And about a third of the way through my first book, it became clear that she was not going to put up with that forever. <laughs> and she would do it, but then she wanted her say. And I thought, well, it really is a waste to have spent so much time creating this character if um, I don't give her books of her own. The reason I chose a Chinese-American character is that I grew up in New York, and I've always been interested in Chinese culture, Chinese food, Chinese art, Chinese music. I don't remember the first Chinese opera I heard, but I... I love Chinese opera. Wow. Most people um, kind of draw the line there. <laughs> I love it. So I figured, okay, um, I would make her Chinese-American uh, and then start to study all the young Chinese-American writers and all the artists and to see what was, would be on her mind, on Lydia's mind. And I did that. And by the time I was ready to write a book for her, I thought I kind of had the character down. And I have a bunch of Chinese-American friends, and I would call them up and ask things. Um, they would invite me over, and their mothers would feed me and then laugh. You know, white people don't eat that. <laughs> yeah, okay. You don't Just don't tell me what's in it, and, uh, and I'll eat it. And, and it, was, it was really um, a lot of fun. And so that's where Lydia came from. So with her, I can explore questions of culture in a way that uh, with Bill I really can't, but with Lydia because she's she was born here. Mm -hmm. So she's a young American, but in a Chinese environment. So she lives with her mother, even though she's certainly old enough to move out. She's 28. But her four older brothers have moved out and it's her job to stay home with mom, make sure she's okay. The brothers pay the rent. Mom doesn't get to make any rules about when Lydia comes and goes, although she does keep trying. Mm -hmm. And it lets me explore issues of family, which I think are hugely and and, and underappreciatedly explored in American, especially in crime fiction. So that's what Lydia 
does. And there are an infinite number of Chinese uh, themes that you can look at or Chinese-related themes. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the reasons I was so surprised when I found out about the grocers of the Delta that I thought I pretty much had at least a sketchy picture of where the Chinese had been when when they started coming to this country, what mm-hmm. they did, all the different uh, Chinatowns up and down the East Coast and the railroad workers in the West and San Francisco. And I thought, you know, the valley where they had farms until they were burned out. I thought I knew all that. And then to find these guys, 100 years of grocers in the Delta that I never heard of, that a lot of my Chinese friends in the East never heard of, and that certainly almost every white person <laughs> in the East had not heard of. And also the other thing um, you need to to know about us Northerners, us Yankees, <laughs> is that when we learn American history, the South, and especially the Deep South, was a, a story of black and white. Mm. And the fact that there were Chinese, Jews, Italians, Lebanese, None of this ever the the even Native Americans were never mentioned. Mm. So this was to me a kind of astounding light bulb moment. And I thought I have to write this book. So I did. You know, and I think that's as a Southerner, one thing, you know, we have bad in our past. We have good in our past. But I think that's one thing that almost kind of it's this cloud of mystery over the South is because a lot of people are not aware that there's so much more culture and there's so much more that happened than just the Civil War or just blacks and white. You know, there's just so much more going on down here. I remember going, I went to Massachusetts once and someone asked me, do you wear shoes to school? Oh, you're kidding. I mean, genuinely <laughs> asked as me that. As you are, she's really young, folks. Oh, well, thank you. Um, you know, and genuinely asked me that. And, you know, I just had a ball with it. I said, no, what are, what are you talking about? And then, you know, asked me and I'm talking crazy questions about things like that. So I always love when someone sees something about the South that is worth writing about that kind of opens a door to show that there's there's so much going mm-hmm. on down here. Um, and we, you know, we appreciate, <laughs> as a yeah. Southerner, we yeah. appreciate anything like that. So as you're investigating this Chinese culture um, and learning more about it, was there anything that, even if it's a little simple thing, that just was incredible to you that is a difference in your culture than Chinese culture? Anything that just stood out that you thought was pretty interesting to find out? Oh, you mean in, in the Chinese culture in general? Correct, as yes, I was, as um, you were doing research for these books. Oh, for, for, for the Lydia books in general? Yes. Interesting question. I think um, as focused as Jewish American families are on family, because mm. that's, that's my background, um, the Chinese are even more. Mm. And what they have that we don't have is a kind of unbroken family lineage. They can go back to the home village. A lot of them can go back 20 generations. Wow. They know the names of their forefathers and they have ancestor tablets and they have written uh, written history. Um, And that kind of long, long sense of history kind of amazed me because we don't have that. And no, I mean, we have Ancestry.com. And yeah, if, unless, right. you're do- <laughs> right. unless you're doing that, you're, you know, we're kind of all yeah. at a loss. Yeah, you know your grandfather's name and right. maybe his father's name, maybe. Right. But probably not. 
Right. And and that's it. As and Americans. even if you know the name, you don't necessarily know where they came from. Right. And right. where they or they where they originated from right. either. But but the Chinese tend to, um, even if they have been in this country a hundred years, right. they know where the home village was, and and that uh, really impressed me as a different way to look at mm. time. Absolutely. That's very cool. So coming to uh, becoming a writer, you had a very, you had a different career before then. Um, you did some architect work mm-hmm. on some places like police stations, firehouses, zoos. Um, so how did you go from that to writing? That is a great question. <laughs> I, When I was a kid, I was one of those little kids who was always going to grow up to be a writer. Okay. I, I, was <laughs> I know always, those kids. Yeah, I do. Right. I was always <laughs> writing stories and poems and and making up things and mm-hmm. but when i went to college i was suddenly struck by the idea that you can't just be a writer mm. just cuz you want to that you have to do something useful you mm. have to do something <laughs> socially valuable right you can't just sit around and write <laughs> but that is and, socially valuable well uh, yeah but at the time I, now you, I, right, yeah, but at the okay, time i thought it. no that's who am i to just sit in a room <laughs> and write so i became an architect mm. because it is socially valuable, and I really enjoyed it. But the reason, as I think about it, as I've thought about it a lot uh, since, the reason what I liked about architecture was not this ability to design, Mm. which is what a lot of people, you know, to put their mark on things and stuff. What I liked is that if you are a trained architect, you can look at a room like this at a building and, and say, I know why that is like that. Mm. I know what's behind that wall. I know how this works. And I was always looking for the secret. I was always looking for the answer. And that um, is the same instinct that led me to be a writer and a, and a crime writer. So I was going to be a writer, but I went into architecture and I graduated and I got a job. And luckily for me, it was a really good job. Mm. It had everything you might want in terms of creativity, in terms of, of people I was working with, in terms of responsibility, in terms of, of my my boss who was very supportive of women in the field, which was oh, that's it's, awesome. it's still a problem. Yeah. Um, and yet, after eight years of being at this firm, I realized I wasn't happy. And because I knew it was such a good job objectively and that there wasn't anything that I could do as an architect that I wasn't getting to do in that job. I realized it wasn't the job, it was the career. Mm. And the little voice in my head started saying, well, weren't we going to write a book a long time ago? Wasn't that the idea? So I thought, okay, let me try this. And if it doesn't work out, I can think of yet another career to have. And so I started writing. I took a class and I realized it was really hard. But it was fulfilling in a mm. way that nothing else was. And I thought, okay, that was a detour, but this is really where I need to be. It took me another <laughs> probably 15 years. Oh, wow. Not quite that long. Yeah, that long from the time I started writing, not that long from the time I started being published. But I had a number of books published already by the time I left architecture. Okay. I had started to work more and more and more part-time. One of the interesting things that happened is that my entire architecture career was in that same firm. So as I began began writing and began thinking, gee, I would like to leave and put my full weight down as a writer, 
I was getting higher and higher in the firm and they thought they needed me more and more. <laughs> I was getting to be the institutional memory and they kept saying, oh, you can work more part time. You can you can you know come in only afternoons. If you have to go on a book tour, that's fine. Just go. And so it was very hard to leave because they were. They didn't want you to. They didn't want they me really to leave. They really did. And they were making. I'm it, sitting here thinking that's a dream. I setup. know it was. It was <laughs> terrific. But finally, um, and this was after 9/11. I was mm. I was uh, I had to then write a book about 9/11 because I couldn't write a book about anything else. Right. And luckily for me, it didn't feel lucky at the time, but luckily for me, I was between books. So I didn't have to go back to a book that I'd been writing on September mm. 10th, which a number of my friends did. But I didn't. So I started this September 11th book, and I realized that if I wanted to write the kind of books I really wanted to write, I wanted to – I had to fully commit. And a friend of mine put it this way. He said, you are holding on to the rail – and you're skating around holding onto the rail and you don't know whether you can do the fancy tricks out in the middle of the ice until you let go of the rail and go out there. And maybe you can't and maybe you'll fall, but you won't know until you try it. And I thought, well, I do not want to die wishing I had tried it. Mm. So I finally told my boss, I really do have to leave. And he said, no, no, no. And I said, you know, I live down the block. You can call me. Just call. And so, so I, you know, I went back yeah. and forth for a long time. I would go in and, and show them how to do something that had been one of my expertises. But um, I, I became a full-time writer at that point. I think that's hard for a lot of people to understand because it's not always that you're at the rock bottom or that you've gone to so many dead-end jobs and then you decide to follow that path of creativity or follow your dream of what you thought you'd do. Sometimes you're in the great job with the great co-workers and you still are not fulfilled. Yeah, yeah. And you have to still do what you feel like you're called to do. Yeah, and that's – at that point is – that's – when it's hardest because mm. if you're in a dead-end job, you're not going to be sucked back into that. But in a job that's really good <laughs> and you're thinking, what am I, crazy? Right. I'm really going to leave this? But that's also when you know that something else is calling you because if everything is that good and you're not happy, then that's not where you're meant to be. When I'm sure growing up also or, – or working in a society like New York, which is very career driven and to walk away from a good career to be a writer, which is uh, hit or miss. I mean, there's some yeah. people that, that make it and some people that don't. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that's a difficult, especially as a woman, I'm yeah. sure that's a difficult yeah. decision to make. But yeah. I'm sure all of us could say we're grateful that you made that decision. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I am too. Right. So talk to me a little bit about, you said you always knew you were going to be a writer. What kind of books were you drawn to as a young person? What did you always read um, that you know may or may not have influenced how you write now? Yeah, totally. It totally did. <laughs> I read uh, Crime. I, I, was, I would get a new Nancy Drew book uh, for my oh. birthday and for... Uh, uh, Hanukkah every year, and I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait for my new Nancy Drew book. <laughs> um, I read uh, some of the Hardy Boys. They they weren't they, the trouble with them is there were too many of them. <laughs> you know, it was two of too them. Too many, to <laughs> right? Um, and I read uh, a lot of science fiction and fantasy uh, and and adventure. I read Robin Hood. Robin Hood, uh, the Howard Pyle Robin Hood, which has uh, beautiful drawings in it, was the first book I read. That I realized at some point, wait a minute, if I, I – was, I was at the second to last chapter and I thought, 
if I finish this book, it will be finished. It'll be all over. There won't be any more. Don't you hate that feeling? Yeah. Hate that feeling. And it was the first time, and I thought, should I not finish it? But why would I? (laughs) There's two more adventures. Why would I not finish it? But if I finish it, then I won't. And it was just a big thing. Um, So what I read were books where things happened. Mm. And that was what I really loved. And I always wanted to write crime. I would watch crime TV shows and, you know, I was reading these these crime books. And when I when I got older, uh, when I was in high school, I was reading a lot of fantasy. That was when I read uh, Tolkien and, and stuff mm, like that. Yeah. Um, the Narnia books. I don't know that people read those anymore. Oh, um, oh. Yeah. Love. Yeah, okay. Some chronic- They're still uh, big down here. Oh, I'll okay, tell you good. that. C.S. And Lloyd Lewis. Alexander, is he big down here too? Uh, Prydain, the Chronicles of oh, Prydain. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I know the Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, I have I have mm-hmm. had people in school in gifted classes bring mm-hmm. up Chronicles of Narnia as as reading books. So those are still yeah. going okay, around good. today. Okay, good. I am so glad. And and so that was what I read. Mm-hmm. I read where where things happen, where there's risk, where there's danger, where people have to step up, and and do the right thing, or else terrible disaster happens. Um, and and but they're regular people, right? And so that now before that, when I was a little kid, I used to read comic books. I used to read Superman and nice. Batman. I love them. What's love your favorite? What's your favorite comic book here? Are you at DC or are you? Well, I, I have to admit that I am now Marvel, but <gasps> I started at DC. Oh, I started with Superman. It's and, okay. You know, I can forgive you. You can, you can, can live with that. Look, okay, don't yeah. get me wrong. Marvel has some great movies out there, but the movies, right? My but heart the books, will yeah. always belong to Superman. I just well, mine, mine kind of will too because the, I was so is, young when I started reading them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I, I yeah. definitely feel that. So when I started thinking about writing, it was always crime that mm-hmm. I wanted to write because crime novels and especially murder, but crime in general, it's important. Something big has mm-hmm. happened, and you have to you have to do something about it. Right. It's it's not um, it's not it's not an emotional issue. It's not a a choice, and especially when it's murder, somebody, somebody's life has been ended. That's mm. major, and they can't tell you anything about it. They're dead. Right. So you have to be the one, or the detective has to be the one, to at least get some kind of justice. I mean, there's no, what justice right. can there be for someone who... But something keeping you on the edge of your seat, waiting yeah. to see, yeah. is the victim going to be avenged by whatever, you know, yeah. information is found yeah. out. Yeah, something, and, and it's, and it's, it moves and it's important. Mm-hmm. And that, that's why I always, and you can, you can talk about social issues in crime. Mm-hmm. Crime novels are a lot more nimble than uh, mainstream novels. And so a social issue comes up. There was, I don't know if you remember this, but in uh, Connecticut, uh, oh, it's got to be 20 years ago now. There was a school bus full of children that was kidnapped. The entire oh, wow. school bus was kidnapped and held for ransom. And two years later, which is about how long it takes to write and produce a book, there were three mm. books in which a school bus full of children gets kidnapped. <laughs> of course. Of um, course. That it's that uh, that kind of thing you can react right away. When it, I, th- I feel like even crime in the news, it draws something out of people. People want to know. Yeah. They want to find out. Um, what's going on? And so, I mean, I myself gravitate towards crime or anything that kind of has um, that element, murder or something to it. Just, I feel like there's something in your human nature that has a desire to 
understand, first of all, why could this happen? How could this happen? And then want to figure out, you know, how do we get justice for this yeah, person? That's, that's actually crucial because my understanding of the crime novel is that people read it not for justice and not to restore order. You know, there's there's a whole theory of, of order, chaos, order, and and right. you know, the, the crime comes to the village and creates chaos and you know, mm-hmm. but really you read it for understanding. You read it for an explanation because in real life there is no explanation. Right. You walk out of here and you get hit by a car in the parking lot and somebody says, my God, what happened? Well, what happened was you walked out of here and there was a car in the wrong place. And you... Right. There's no explanation. There's no reason for it. In a crime novel, that would be somebody who had been looking for you or looking for one of your coworkers and right. you look like them or there's a reason mm-hmm. for it. And that's – people read crime novels because it gives – that comforting sense that something happened for a reason and you right. can find out the reason and then you can get justice or not right. or whatever. But it's it nothing is accidental, nothing is coincidental, and nothing is unexplained. And people really want that because you don't get that in life. Well, and there's a draw to understanding the psychology of yeah. humans yeah. and, and – yeah. Especially these days with elements like social media where everyone's life is so on display. I know, I, you know, I know myself, I'll sit and I'll, you know, Facebook stalk somebody or something and, and you see what they post, you see what they do and you have this unintentional psychological thing going on to understand why they do. Right, and I feel right. like it's the same kind of yeah. concept you when you're dealing with crime. Why would you do that? Yeah. You know, because we want to believe that people yeah. are all innately good, but then you <laughs> but, have things, but if that's terrible true, things that happen. That? Right. right. Absolutely. Yeah. So maybe the hardest question that I might ask you today, hardest or easiest, if you're reading anything, what are you reading? And if you're not, because I know you're busy right now, you're traveling all over the place, what do you want? What is there a book out or anything that you want to be reading that oh, you are just dying to get to? That is a really good question, and I will have to let that one um, <laughs> simmer. You know, but um, I'm reading uh, right now. I read a lot of nonfiction. Oh, and wow! I'm, okay. I'm reading a book right now on um, the genius of birds. Which is really interesting. It's about bird migration and bird song okay. and bird courting behavior. And I'm like turning the pages. <laughs> it's terrific. Um, I read uh, the thing that comes to mind when, when people ask a question like this all the time is um, Lincoln and the Bardo, which okay. I recently read. I loved it. There was a knockout. Uh, a book that I want to be. I have a, a stack like this. Oh, I know. Course, it's know, a terrible. It's stack. like asking you, what was your favorite book of all time, or your favorite right. song of all? You know, right, it's a hard question. What is it? What is it? I I have right now that I wish I were reading. Oh, I can't. I can't. I can't. That's right. Yeah, but I will. I will think about that. Yeah, think on that one because that you know you you always think about what's next or what's coming yeah, next, yeah, yeah. and uh, and there's so yeah. there's so many good books yeah, out there, yeah. and that's one thing you know I. For young readers, I hope that people are, and one of the the interests of this podcast and the book festival is we want people to develop a love for reading at a young age um, so that as they grow up, you know, that is something that they enjoy to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much screen time these days. Yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm an old school person. I love the feel of a book. I can't do the iPads and the, they're great and I'm glad we have them, but I got to have a book uh-huh. in my hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I know there's a lot of people out there that feel the same way. And so we just w- want to cultivate that yeah. amongst people. Yeah. So yeah. who knows, maybe we'll see a, a, a Nancy Drew come back in the, <laughs> in the youth of America. Come that on, would, Nancy. <laughs> I know, right. 
SJ Roseanne here with us today at the Mississippi Book Festival Ride On podcast. Her book, Paper Sun, coming out next month on July 2nd. July 2nd. Uh, You can pick it up anywhere, especially your local independent bookstore. Please make sure to grab a copy of that. And we want to thank you uh, for joining us today and coming all the way to Jackson, Mississippi to sit down with us. I I was excited to do it and I'm glad we did it. Very glad you are here. Ride On Mississippi is produced in partnership with Mississippi Public Broadcasting for the Mississippi Book Festival. Festival, the South's Literary Lawn Party.